Hey, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on Grace Church, visit us at gracemc.org. Well, good morning, everybody. It is good to be together, and uh, I'm excited to be part of this, this journey that we're on. We're doing this series called Managing Transition in the Midst of Change, and uh, as we get the lights up here in just a moment so we can see each other, um, I want to take you back to um, my junior summer uh, on second base. I'm on second base, and my good friend Jeff is up to bat, and he's a left-hander, and the ball comes in, and he swings the bat, and he ropes a line drive into right field. As a, as a guy on second base, my job is to run as hard as I can to get home. I had the opportunity to be the go-ahead run, and the coach on third base was doing this with his arms, and so as I come sprinting around third base, I'm running in, and I'm about 10 feet from home plate, when I see the catcher on the opposing team put his glove up like this, and I knew it was going to be close, the ball was coming in from right field, and at the very, very last second, at a dead sprint, I decide I need to slide. And so I go down, and with my left foot leading, I went into the home plate, which was a rubber plate, and I had on metal spikes at the time, and my left leg just instantly stopped. But my body kept going. And what ended up happening is, I was safe, but I also ended my baseball career. I did not realize it at the time. I kind of rolled in the dirt, jumped up, and jogged to the dugout, and everybody was cheering. But that was a pivotal moment in my own life that I had no idea would change the whole kind of direction of my life. My dream was to play college baseball. And I did go on to try to play, but just continually aggravated that back injury all through college. And so it ended, for me, that was my first major ending in my own personal life. So we're in this series called Managing Transition in the Midst of Change. And it's a very relevant topic because every single one of us have change that's occurring on a regular basis. And even as a church, obviously, we are going through a season of change as well. To review last week, we looked at the definition of change and transition because there is a difference. Change is when your circumstances suddenly become different. It's when you slide into base and suddenly it's, there's a problem. Transition is the harder part. That's the social, psychological, and spiritual process that we go through to internalize and to navigate the change. There's three phases of transition. It starts with ending, it moves into a neutral zone, and eventually you get to a new beginning. This morning, we're going to take a deep dive into looking at endings. Ecclesiastes 3.1 tells us there's a time for everything, everything under the sun. Endings are hard because endings always come with loss. And it's not so much the ending that's the problem, it's the fact that we lose something in it. They require us letting go. They take away what we know and what is familiar Endings are a part of life for all of us, and they can't be avoided. And so today, we're going to, as we look at this concept of navigating endings, we're going to look at four things. We're going to look at the prevalence of endings. They're all around us. We're going to look at why they are important. We're going to look at how they affect us. And then we're going to conclude with how we can redeem them for good. So let's dive right in. I took some time to reflect over the last three years in my own life to observe some of the endings that have happened to me. 
And during that time, here's just a short list of some of the things that came to my mind. We lost the presence of our oldest son as he moved out of our home and became a young adult. Over the last three years, we had a number of Youth for Christ staff members who rotated off of our team for different reasons. During the last three years, there are some longtime colleagues with Youth for Christ at a national level who basically were replaced as a result of new leadership that was hired. During the last three years, and even in the last year, my part-time role with Youth for Christ USA ended as well due to that change of leadership. I watched the marriage of a very close family member end in divorce over the last three years. The ability to eat most common foods that we all love or that I love ended for a season with this weird, undiagnosed health issue with my digestion area. Friendships changed due to people moving and just different life stages during the last three years. And I experienced the death of four family members uh, that I was really close to growing up during that time. In addition to that, six friends and ministry partners passed away over the last three years. All of these endings happened during this weird season when COVID was kind of a big part of that. And COVID in and of itself created a whole series of losses and endings that all of us experienced. When you look at endings, they're prevalent. They're all around us. Everybody in here probably could come up here and share a long list of endings and losses that you've experienced over the last three years as well. It is encouraging, though, to know that Scripture is actually full of endings as well. In fact, just about every story in Scripture that celebrates faith and victory was preceded by a pretty significant loss or ending. Before Abraham became the father of all the nations, he had to leave his home and everything that was familiar in it. Before Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, he had to walk away from a peaceful life of just farming and shepherding. Before Joseph became the governor of Egypt and was able to provide for his family during the Great Famine, he had to endure mistreatment and abandonment by his brothers. Job lost his wealth and his health and his family before God restored to him even more than he had before. Before Peter became a follower of Jesus and a fisher of men, he had to leave his familiar and successful fishing business. And before Paul became the leading missionary of the early church, he had to lose his leadership status as the top Pharisee and the chief persecutor of the church. You can go on and on and on and on with stories in Scripture of people who had to end something before God carried out his plan for them. God has a plan for endings, and I believe they're part of the discipleship process. It's how he grows us. It's how he uses us. And perhaps that's why the writer of Ecclesiastes in chapter 7 said this, the end of a matter is better than its beginning. So why are endings important? Well, before you can begin something new, you usually have to end what used to be. Beginnings depend on endings. Before you can learn a new way of doing something, you usually have to unlearn the old way. When done well, endings actually bring hope. Jesus taught about the importance of endings through this principle of pruning. 
In John 15, verse 2, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the gardener, takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it might be more fruitful. Pruning is a process of proactive endings. Pruning is the function of cutting away to reduce the extent or reach of something by taking away unwanted or unneeded parts. Pruning is needed in three different types of scenarios in life. Number one, when you have an abundance of healthy branches that need to be cut back to allow for future growth. This is the hard part of pruning sometimes because you look at a plant and it looks great. And you know when you get done pruning, it's not going to look so great for a season. But this is when uh, the plant is producing more branches and buds than it can keep up with. It only has so many resources and capacity to nurture growth to its fullest potential. And so pruning focuses the needed resources to be invested in the strategic branches. Pruning healthy plants is all about saying no to the present good to prepare for future great. That's the first type of pruning that takes place. The second is when you have ailing branches that are underperforming and not getting better. So after multiple attempts of trying to nurture a plant, pruning needs to happen when you realize the branches are just not going to perform at the level of health that's needed to thrive. Pruning, in this scenario, assumes the mindset that achieving average results is just not acceptable. Pruning helps the plant to have even more fuel to pour into the healthy branches. The plant is now on full-on mission, daily focusing at its energy and feeding and growing the branches that are determined to grow and produce more fruit. And then finally, the third type of pruning is when you have dead branches that are taking up space that are needed for the healthy ones to thrive. Not only are dead branches not producing fruit, but they actually get in the way of the healthy branches that are trying to thrive. Pruning dead branches clears the way for future growth so that more fruit can happen. When you view endings through the lens of pruning, you begin to understand the why. Why are they important? Why does God do this in our lives? And the purpose of it is to get us to this next level of growth. So how do these endings affect us? Most people, including myself, uh, do not always handle endings well. They misunderstand and they make, uh, they take them either too seriously or not seriously enough. People that take endings too seriously confuse them with kind of the finality of it, that this is the end of the world, it's never going to get better. And they miss out on the fact that this is a phase of what God often uses to grow us. People that fail to take them seriously basically do so because they let fear intervene. And they begin to avoid them because they're hard. There's actually five different ways most people respond to the endings that come along in their lives. The first one is the idea, the concept of disengagement. So in times of transition, in times of things that are ending, people experience the separation from what once was. Disengagement is the natural process of withdrawing 
from a particular experience or situation or setting. It's letting go of what was familiar. This is really hard, but it's needed to allow for healing to happen and for preparation to take place to get us to the next season of life. The Israelites in Scripture modeled disengagement when they were led out of Egypt. So imagine this, for 400 years, they had been slaves, and they had been crying out to the Lord for deliverance. Then one day, God shows up through the form of a burning bush in the life of Moses, an ordinary shepherd, farmer kind of guy, and he basically says these words to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And I am sending you to bring them out of Egypt. So that's a little picture of the need. These are people who are being abused in a very, very horrific set of conditions. Moses says yes after a whole bunch of arguing with God. And we read a little bit further, and we see them marching up to the Red Sea. And then last week, we talked about the fact that God delivered them through an amazing miracle. And they're, other, they're on the other side of the Red Sea, and they have disengaged from Egypt. And here's what we read in Exodus 14. It says, And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. You keep reading into the next chapter of Exodus 15, and the whole chapter is basically a song that they wrote and they recorded and they sang that celebrated this deliverance of this huge miracle. And it also acknowledged the fact that they were shifting their allegiance from the Egyptian way of life to trusting God. A whole chapter devoted to that celebration. When change occurs... Disengagement prepares the way for renewal and for growth. It unplugs us from the signals that we received from the old situation so we can get ready for what God has for us next. That's disengagement. The second response that's part of this ending process is dismantling. Dismantling is a process of deconstructing what once was. It's to take something apart. It might be a relationship it might be a role that we had. It might be uh, an influence in our life. Dismantling can best be understood through the lens of remodeling a house. So if you've ever remodeled a home, you know you walk into a room and it looks the current way that's familiar, but you have a vision of the way you want it to be. And depending on the project, sometimes you can literally take that room down to the studs and to start over. And it's hard because you go through a process where it gets worse before it gets better. But the dismantling is necessary for you to be able to rebuild it the way that you want it to happen. When major changes happen, dismantling can happen with our relationships, with our support networks, with our belief systems, and even the way we view ourselves. Ironically, it wasn't long after the Israelites were singing this celebration song when they had disengaged from Egypt and put their full trust in God, it wasn't long. In fact, it was only six weeks later 
when we read a very different story in Exodus 16. It says, In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all of the food that we wanted, but you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Their hunger and their ending basically was dismantling their whole trust system, their whole faith. They were targeting their anger toward Moses and Aaron because that's who they could see. But God knew that it was really directed toward him. Dismantling is a common response when things we know and care about come to an end. It is hard, and it is really, really confusing sometimes when people go through that process, but it is a response that's very common when endings happen. Here's the third response, disidentification. So disengagement and dismantling, which are more of exterior responses, often lead to the loss of how we define ourselves. Most people in transition at some point have the experience of not being sure of who they really are. This is the internal side of, this, of what disengagement and dismantling produces. And it shows up when a person has closely tied their identity to whatever is ending. So think about if you lost your job and your whole identity is kind of tied with your title. Think about if you lose a relationship and your identity is tied with that. Think about when you lose a certain role that you have. This is who I am. Old identities often stand in the way of transformation and renewal. It's only when we loosen the bonds of what ties us to what is ending that we can transition into a new identity. So again, we see this in a kind of a dramatic way with the Israelites. So while Moses was away on Mount Sinai actually meeting with God, the Israelites took matters into their own hands. They turned away from God completely, and they made an idol of a golden calf, and they began to worship it. We read in Exodus 32, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people, which I think is kind of comical, whom you brought out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol in the shape of a calf. Why a golden calf? Well, because that's what the Egyptians worshipped. They had kind of a weird set of beliefs and worship, and, and a bull and a calf was one of the things that they worshipped. They have said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. So imagine this. The God of gods who delivers them through the Red Sea and gets them on the other side, whom they shift their allegiance to, just a while later, are now completely disidentifying with that and going back to what they knew before. The transition and the ending that the Israelites experienced resulted in this concept of disidentification. They traded their true identity as God's chosen and freed people for their old selves that were defined by slavery and bondage in Egypt. Does that sound familiar? The whole story of Exodus is a parallel story of the gospel, where we get a chance to be delivered from bondage and sin and the old way of life into a new 
land of milk and honey and freedom, the promised land for us. Moses, who was the mediator for them, is now replaced by Jesus, who is the mediator for us. And yet, how often do we see ourselves reverting back to the old way because it's familiar, because it's safe? It's been said that it took a day to get the Israelites out of Egypt, but 40 years to get Egypt out of the Israelites. Isn't that the truth with our lives? Here's the fourth response when we talk about endings, and that is disenchantment. Disenchantment, maybe not a word we use every day, but disenchantment is that feeling of being let down by somebody or something that once held meaning and significance. It's a feeling of disappointment about somebody or something that you previously respected or admired. When a person becomes separated from their previous situation and their identity, there can be a sense that their known world is no longer real. It's realizing that friends can let you down, that people don't always keep their word, that leaders make mistakes, and that organizations, and yes, even churches, don't always get it right. Disenchantment is a recurring experience for all of us, and it's a signal for us to look below the surface, to understand why are we responding the way we are responding. Handled well, disenchantment leads to growth. Not handled well, it often leads to disillusionment and bitterness and a repeated experience with the next ending that we experience. Disillusioned and disenchanted people get stuck. They get stuck here, and they can't move forward. They need help to do the hard work of going beneath the surface, going under the surface, to understand, to surrender, and to forgive so that they can be set free to grow. The story of Exodus is really a story of disenchantment and lack of faith. Ten different times the scriptures record that the Israelites tested God with unbelief. They just didn't trust him. Ultimately, this led to a consequence. We read it in Numbers 14. When the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all of the miraculous signs I performed among them? I have forgiven them but not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. You see, they were forgiven, but there was also a consequence for their lack of faith. Their disenchantment with the journey to the promised land ultimately resulted in their failure to experience it. In essence, God granted them what they really desired. So this leads to the last response when it comes to how we tend to respond to uh, endings, and that is disorientation. Disorientation is that lost and confused feeling about that basically makes you feel like, I don't know where I am, and I don't know where I'm going. You just lost your direction. It's when we're reaching for something to hold on to while we're also trying to let go. It's a feeling of being shipwrecked with more questions than answers. Being disoriented causes us to feel stuck and to feel lost and to feel sometimes dead inside. Our plans for the future become hindered because we can't see past the present. 
We experience confusion and emptiness where things that used to seem important just don't matter anymore. Disorientation is not enjoyable, but it is meaningful. When we finally reach the end of our rope, the end of what we're trying to control, and we cry out to God for help, we can begin to experience discovery that he wants us to learn. We see the the disorientation of the Israelites also in Numbers 14. This is after they sent the spies out to check out the promised land and to come back with the report. And we'll take a look at this story in a couple of weeks. But they were basically given a bad report by the majority of these guys that went there. And here's here's what they said. It says, All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? We should choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. That was their solution. They were just disoriented enough by their circumstances that they were ready to kind of go back again to what they knew. A whole new leader, march right back through, not sure how they're going to get across the Red Sea this time. But that was their intent. And that's what disorientation does. It just confuses everything. So how do we respond in a way where the endings we have in life can actually be redeemed for good? As we close this morning... I want to talk about metabolism. Metabolism, that is the process of how we convert the food that we eat into the energy that our bodies need. Think about it. Metabolism breaks food into two groups. The first group is what's usable for us. It's the vitamins, the minerals, the nutrients, everything that our bodies need to grow stronger and healthier every day. It turns the food into energy and into fuel so that we can function well. It also becomes part of us, our muscles, our bones, our organs. That is what the food converts into through metabolism. But metabolism also does the other thing. The second group of food is it's the parts of food that are not usable that need to be eliminated. Now, we're going to talk a lot about that right now because that's kind of gross, but that's the waste side that has to be eliminated because it was not designed to stay in our system. In fact, if you don't eliminate waste, people just get sicker and sicker and sicker until they finally die. When we eat food, we ingest what we take into our body, and we use what is usable, and we eliminate what is not. The same is true in life. When we ingest the changes and the experiences that come our way, both good and bad, we take them in and they become part of us. But to stay healthy, we have to learn how to metabolize these endings. We have to keep what is healthy and usable and eliminate what is not. We need to ask the questions, what was good about this experience? What did I learn about myself through it? How will I grow as a result? And then we also need to ask the other questions. What was not good about this ending? What angered or saddened me? What am I still trying to control? Why do I need to forgive, or who do I need to forgive, to to eliminate any bitterness or resentment that might be building up? The difference between metabolizing food and metabolizing change is the fact with food, it happens subconsciously. 
But with real life issues, it requires us proactively walking into that, consciously dealing with the issues and wrestling through it. Oftentimes, it requires sitting down and writing it out. How do I really feel about this? Or unloading with a friend. Or perhaps just simply getting away and being alone with God and just having it out. Praying, processing, sometimes crying, whatever it takes to let it go and release it. When Jesus was with the disciples, it says at one point they asked him how to pray. And in Matthew 6, Jesus gave them a model for prayer called the Lord's Prayer. And it's interesting because the Lord's Prayer is really a metabolizing prayer. When you look at it through this lens, it helps us take in what's helpful and re-give us the perspective we need, and it helps us release what is not helpful so we can move forward. So I just want us to, to take a look at the Lord's Prayer this morning as we close. It starts with our Father, to remember that we have a Heavenly Father who knows our name, who knows our story, who loves us. Who is in heaven? He's in a different plane than we are. He sees things way differently than the little micro perspective we have. Hallowed be thy name. God is God and I am not. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Let's bring heaven down to earth so we can get a glimpse of it. Give us this day our daily bread. I am called to live this day, this day. Not worry about tomorrow. He will meet the needs when I seek him day by day. And then it moves into this. And forgive me of my sins. And I personalize this uh, for the sake of just, this is how I pray it. As I forgive those who sin against me. This is the metabolism part that endings bring us to. Because when we feel hurt, or we feel like life is kind of out of control, this is usually where it goes to with our heart. And God invites us into that because he wants to free us from those things. And lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. We have an enemy who wants nothing else to take the endings in life and create chaos so that we will not continue to move forward in following Jesus and trusting him. This is the prayer that has kept me in the game for years. I say it almost every day, and it provides perspective for whatever it is that I'm facing. It's not just a rote set of words. If you embrace it as truly personalizing it, it can truly transform you. It addresses my need for forgiveness and my charge to forgive. So redeeming endings for good is really a journey of faith. When we redeem our endings, we become stronger and we become healthier and we posture ourselves to allow God's Spirit to do something in us that we could never do ourselves. When we don't, we set ourselves up to just repeat the same set of behaviors another time. And we become weaker and more toxic people. So endings are an opportunity for discipleship. And whatever the ending is in your life that perhaps you've experienced in the past or you're going through in the present, it's an opportunity for growth. So on the little handout that's available, uh, at the very end, there's some discussion questions or some reflection questions. 
Um, I just encourage you, if, you're, if you feel like this is relevant to where you're at, dive into it and just discuss it with somebody, maybe a family member, maybe your small group, wherever it applies. When I hurt my back playing baseball, I was devastated. It was going into my senior year. I missed a lot of the sports that year. My whole world had just gotten thrown upside down. I had become a Christian the spring before, literally three months before I had the injury. And so I was trying to make sense of this journey of faith with this experience of devastation and loss. And it was really, really hard. But what I did not realize in that season was that God had a bigger plan. Because by not proceeding to play at the college level to the degree that I had hoped, God actually redirected my steps into the world of youth ministry. Forty years later, thousands of teenagers across our state have heard the gospel because of the way God's sovereign plan played out. And it's continuing to this day. Do I wish we could have played baseball? Absolutely. But embracing the ending and trusting God with it, as hard as it was, led to the outcome that he ultimately desired. However this connects with you today, it's a journey of trust. It's a journey of faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you're, the, you're our father. You're our dad. You know us. You know what we're going through today. You know what our needs are. And Lord, we're just desperate for you. We ask that you would intervene into our lives, our relationships, our circumstances, and show us your way. Lord, we humble ourselves, we submit to you, and we just want to declare that we trust you. We trust you. If there's anybody, maybe this morning, that needs to reconnect, that needs to walk away and end the old way of life, so they can say yes to you fresh. Father, we just take a moment and give you permission to do your work. Thank you for the gift of eternal life through your son, Jesus. Thank you for being our mediator. Thank you for rescuing us from a life of sin and bondage to a life of freedom and hope. And I pray that you would just be at work in a mighty way in all of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.